Four series so far, just one series win. The Yankees are off to a sluggish first 12 games of the season, going 5-7 and seven as they return to the Bronx to face their rival Rays this weekend. Are the Bronx Bombers in trouble? Will the starting pitching last this season? Speaking of starting pitchers, we'll be joined by 2009 World Series champion, Yankee starting pitcher, future Hall of Famer, CC Sabathia. Incredible guest. And an incredible podcast is next, believe that, on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly at NYNelly43 and Instagram at Jeff.Nelson43. New episodes of the pod drop Mondays and Thursdays. Go give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review on Apple Podcasts. We surely appreciate it. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown pop in during the show as always. Plus, future Hall of Famer and Yankees great CeCe Sabathia joins the program a bit later. But first, we must talk, Nelly, about the 5-7 and seven start as we tape this here on Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th. The Yankees are just, they're not good right now. <laughs> they're just not good. They've won one series, and that series was against the Baltimore Orioles. They've dropped two to the Blue Jays, one to the Rays. And it boils down to starting pitching, Jeff, in my eyes. You got Garrett Cole. Jordan Montgomery's been good, but the rest has has not been. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, okay, it's only, what, 11 games, not 10 games. I, I, I think I expected the reason why I'm so disappointed, I expected a start like the Dodgers are getting. I, I put the Yankees up as a quality team or, or right there with the Dodgers as far as being some two of the best teams in baseball. The Dodgers are 10 and 2, and you look at where the Yankees are right now after 12 and 5 and 7. It's very disappointing. You know, it's, I expected maybe more out of Kluber. I expected more out of Tyone, even though I don't know if you give him a pass because he hasn't thrown in almost two years. Uh, you have Cole basically as your number one, and Montgomery pitched well his first outing, struggled his second. And, you know, after that, you have fours and fives. There's really no two or three starter in this rotation right now. And and will it develop? I think Montgomery could develop as a number two or three right behind Cole. I don't know about the other ones. It, it's uh, it's disappointing. And if it wasn't for the bullpen, and that's the only positive thing right now with the Yankees is the bullpen has been outstanding. And you don't even have one of your best pitchers in Zach Britton. And I, I saw a little article. It was written. I don't know if it was in the New York Post or what it was. And I heard Matt Blake say about, you know, they want their starters to go deeper into the game. And it's, they said right now it's a little bit difficult. Well, they didn't train them. They didn't, you know, you're, they're leaving spring training. I mean, you look at Kluber, he left spring training with 75 pitches. You had Tyone leaving spring training, 75 pitches. These guys aren't capable of going deep in the game early. You're going to wear this bullpen out early that they're not going to be any good at the end of the year when you really need them. So it's very disappointing their start. And, you know, we we saw that. I want to just piggyback on that thought that you had right there with the Rays last year in the 60-game season. Did they get to the World Series? Yeah, but they rode that bullpen all season long during those 60 games. 
And Jeff, we saw them get gassed against the Dodgers and uh, they lost. They wound up losing the World Series over that 60 game season. We're talking about a full 162 this year for the Yankees. Now, look, we could sit here and as Jake Brown, our producer, likes to rib us and poke us in the ribs uh, when we're off the air saying we're hitting the panic button. It's only 12 games into the season. That's fine. You know, he could do that with us. And he is right to an extent. The 2009 Yankees started 15 and 17. Then they had a stretch where they went 24 and 15. And then they finished 64 and 27. But they had the horses on the mound. You need that. You need starting pitching. You need to go deep into games. Let's be honest here, Nelly. You and I both know this lineup is flooded with talent. And sooner or later, we're not going to be talking about the Yankees struggling at the plate. They're going to hit the problem right now. And it seems like for the near future is starting pitching. And if the problem is starting pitching past Garrett Cole, a problem right now isn't the bullpen. It's going to be the bullpen. If guys like Tyone and guys like Kluber don't start giving length, you can't keep punching out fourth inning here, third inning there you got to start giving Aaron Boone length or this is going to get ugly faster than it's going to get pretty for the Bronx Bombers. Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I, I've missed some teams, but I've never seen a team win a World Series with just straight offense. You know, you win World Series. Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. No, no, I know. You win with pitching. That's how you get to the playoffs. That's how you win in the playoffs. That's how you win in the World Series. You win with pitch. Yeah, we saw it with your teams during the dynasty. You know, there were days that the the bat the, the lineup would pick up the pitching, and then there were long stretches where the pitching would pick up the lineup. The lineup can't pick you up all season long. That's exactly what you're saying here. The pitching has to be a sledgehammer at some point. And so far, through 12 games, look, let's be honest. The Yankees are lucky, Jeff, to be five and seven right now, right or wrong. Oh, no, I, I agree. You know, I, I totally agree. Now, you're right. The offense is going to be there. Now, I didn't like the lineup that they threw out the last game against the Blue Jays. I don't know what that was. You know, Hicks leading off. You had Gardner hitting third. You had Bruce in the lineup. I mean, I, I don't know what that He's was. He's lost. Boy, did I put the mush on him. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. Boyd went down, I, I was happy because Bruce, you and I both talked about it. They needed some lefty power, especially at Yankee Stadium. They haven't had that. But good lord, I, I he listen. I didn't want to say anything to you guys because I've seen. No, James but play. you know he's a platoon player. I mean, he, and, and now he's forced to play every day. You know, and that's that's tough for somebody that. Okay, earlier in his career, yes, he's an everyday player. But you know, late in the late in his career, like now, he's a platoon guy. He's a guy that can give you three, four days a week, three days a week. Hit off the hit off the bench. You know, he's not a guy that can pitch every day because look what happens. He gets exposed, and he's just not that kind of player anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, you miss Luke Voigt even more now because Luke Voigt's an everyday guy. You know, Bruce is a guy that's going to pinch hit. Yeah, I know neither one of us is worried about the lineup because sooner or later it's going to start clicking and they're going to start taking off. Aaron Boone said it the other day, you know, hitting is hard and he's right, you know, and, and there's going to be another stretch during the season where the Yankees go five and seven and the bats take a dirt nap. That's just the way baseball is. It's ebbs and it's flows. But the pitching has to get better. And if the pitching doesn't get better and Tyone and Kluber don't straighten up and fly right, it's not going to be a pretty season for the Yankees. I'm sorry. It's just what Nelly said. There has to be excellent starting pitching. And right now there just isn't.
Well, I think with Tyone, I think you give him time a little bit because he hasn't pitched in a couple of years. He gets a pass. I think I think he'll wind up being. I mean, you can't. Ex- I guess because of his injuries, the two Tommy Johns, you can't expect him to be 100 and 110 pitches going deep into the game. He's almost like a rookie coming up, and you're going to have to monitor his innings, and that's exactly what the Yankees are, are going to do. You have you have Cole, and that's it. Kluber, I don't know if he can turn it around. I, I really don't. And I guess my expectations was because I thought this team was like the Dodgers. I thought, okay, this is maybe the second-best team in baseball, or even right there leaving spring with the Dodgers. And they haven't been that. You, you know, the American League is not a very strong league right now, but I, maybe that's maybe that's a plus for the Yankees, for them, the American League not being strong. Since we taped last, we got to see Kluber another time through the rotation. And, and I know we talked about him on Monday, Jeff, but what did you see from him in his last outing? I, I want to get your progression on him as a former pitcher yourself. What did you see out of him? He seemed to think in his post-game press conference – that things were progressing. How did you feel after that start? I don't, you know, I don't know how they progressed. You gave up two homers again, and both of them were on sliders or, or cutters. You know, he's got to set up his, he's got to set up the cutter a little bit better. And, and I think he's got to have better, obviously he's got to have better fastball location. And you look at guys that had a lot of success earlier in their career, and all of a sudden they come late in their career that fastball, even though the, the, the velocity is not there, they still have to locate it probably even more so than they used to. He's not a guy that can get that, get in deep counts. He can't get behind counts because he doesn't know how to pitch out of them, and he doesn't have the stuff to get guys out when he gets into a deep count or he gets into a hitter's count. He's not setting up that cutter. The, you know, Yes, he's always thrown more cutters and fastballs. His fastball usage has never been real high, but I think it needs to be higher right now than than him constantly throwing cutters everybody's going to go up there and say hey he's going to give you a cutter and it's going to be out over the middle of the plate just look for it he doesn't have a good fastball anymore he doesn't have the location that he used to with his fastball he pitches up in the zone and he's always pitched up in the zone but he's been able to do that because the other off speed is change up or his curveball he's throwing his slider and he's throwing his cutter for strikes he's not throwing any of those for strikes and when he is he's getting hammered the other thing that really concerns me with this team, and I don't know how you feel about this, Nelly, I get your thoughts here, is defensively. We're going to talk to CeCe about, obviously, the 2009 season. That was one of the best infields uh, in the history of baseball. <laughs> if you go back and look at that with Teixeira, Cano, Jeter, and A-Rod around the horn there, uh, the Yankees have some issues uh, all over the field. Uh, but shortstop is very glaring with Glaber Torres. Uh, is he going to grow into the shortstop role? Can he be the Yankee shortstop? Are they going to have to make a change there, move him over the second? You know, you, you have Urshela as your backup shortstop right now. And I know Aaron Boone likes him there. He has a lot of confidence in him there. But it's shaky when you have to put Jay Bruce at first. Uh, DJ LeMahieu is a solid backup over at first base. And, and he's, to me, he's the one true uh, Swiss Army knife for Aaron Boone, but uh, what do you think defensively too? I mean, they have to tighten up defensively as well as the starting pitching if they want to turn things around here. Well, they went out and got Odor, and I think that's probably it could be a decent pickup. And he's a decent second baseman, and he's a left-handed guy that has some pop. And I like to see him in the lineup every day just to see what he has, and maybe a change of scenery coming from Texas where they weren't going anywhere. We said this before, and coming over to the Yankees, I think. Could be a good positive. It could, you know, it could be a good sign for the Yankees, and, and that means 
you're going to have to slide either LeMahieu at first or put him at third. I, I agree with you. I, I think Glaber is not a shortstop. He's more suited at second base. I just don't want to see the struggles and the emphasis on his struggles at short take him at, at the plate, you, you know, because a lot of times you'll see that when guys struggle in the field, all of a sudden they'll start struggling at the plate. And you don't want that to happen because he's such a great player. Uh, he probably needs to go to a position that he doesn't have to think so much and, you know, maybe be more comfortable. I just don't think he's a shortstop. I don't think he's comfortable there. He works really hard at it. And I'm sure the Yankees really work him hard at shortstop to make him a better fielder. But I just don't I don't just I just don't see it right now. And, you know, you don't want him to go out and, and everything start playing through his head. You know, he didn't have a great year at the plate last year. And you want to see that turn around. And, and he's such a great player. You just don't want to see that head start getting involved. Yeah, you're you're a thousand percent right there. And uh, Yankees have a day off today. We're taping this on a Thursday uh, when the Yankees have off. And of course, they come home to the Bronx. And we talked about their first series with the Rays down in St. Petersburg as being, hey, this is a chance right at the beginning of the season to make a stamp and uh, reclaim kind of their king of the mountain status in the AL East. And they went down there and lost two out of three to Tampa. So now they get another shot at the beginning of the season, Nelly, to face the Rays once again. What do you need to see out of this team in this series this weekend? Look, I know there's 150 games left. I could be sitting here hitting the panic button, going crazy, breaking the glass in case of emergency. I'm going to pump my brakes. I'm going to give it some more time. The starting pitching does concern me, but I would like to see them at least, at the very least, take the damn series from the Rays this weekend. Well, the thing of it is, early or not, and how it doesn't matter how many games are left, there's still you still have to fight for wins. And, and, and when you have teams in your division, when we pl- when I was playing and Mr. Steinbrenner was around, you had to beat the Red Sox and you had to beat the Rays. And the Rays weren't a good team back then. And only because he was at the game all the time and that's where he made his home in Tampa. He hated the Red Sox. You had to beat them. And obviously you had to beat the Mets because they were your crosstown rivals as far as the American League and National League. You have to see some fight out of this team. You have to see, hey, we we this is the Yankees. We got to have respect and say, hey, we should be the best team in the Eastern Division. The Rays are coming in, whether it's home or away. They're going to come into the Bronx thinking, hey, you know what? We own this team, and we're going to walk all over them. This that's weekend. their mindset. That's their mindset. The Yankees have to have that mindset, and I don't see it. There's must, you know, every game's a must win. I mean, when they say, oh, is there a must? Every game, I think, as a Yankee is a must win. You got to see some fight. You got to see some accountability. You got to see some respect for yourself. And in the division saying, hey, we're not taking this. You know, and the Rays are coming up here, especially over last year. And they did it again at home in the first series that the Yankees went down in Tampa. And they're going to feel the same way when they come up in the Bronx over this weekend. All right. Uh, it's a pretty cool transition today here on the Pinstripe Pod because we have Nelly, who is a part of the dynasty. And then it's kind of like he handed the baton off to CC Sabathia to get the next World Series championship. And he joins us next on the Pinstripe Pod. Joining us now, future Hall of Famer, 2009 Yankees World Series champion, of course. He's the host of the R2C2 podcast with Ryan Rucco with The Ringer. 
Uh, he's got a book coming out till the end with Chris Smith. And if you pre-order it, you can get access to a Yankees game watch party on April 22nd. That involves CC Ryan and a special guest. That's Action Bronson. CC Sabathia, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate the time. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. First things first, uh, we always talk about the last time the uh, Yankees won the World Series, CC, and that was your first year with the club. So if you could just take us back in the DeLorean, back to 2009, <laughs> just give us some of your best memories from that season. I mean, just really getting here, you know, like signing that, that offseason, you know, it was it was kind of a long process, longer, I think, than Yankee fans wanted. Um, but I was just trying to make sure that, you know, I ended up in the right place. You know, I came from a place in Cleveland where, you know, the clubhouse is like the most important thing. And, you know, that 2007 or 18, that I just heard so many things about the Yankee clubhouse where it just kind of scared me off of, you know, being, I, I want to play a pinstripe. And, you know, having the chance to sit down and talk to Cash, I talked to G, and then knowing that AJ and Swish is going to come in. And, you know, we had a chance to kind of change the culture a little bit. And, and it shifted, you know, we were tying people every night. It seemed like we were walking off. <laughs> we were just having so much fun. I mean, I remember the, the, my, my most vivid memory of, like, realizing that we were going to win the World Series is A-Rod's first game back. I think it was, like, May 1st. He had, was coming off the hip surgery, and he hadn't been there. We were scuffling a little bit in April. And he comes back, and the first pitch he sees off Jimmy Guthrie hits a three-run homer. And I'm sitting on the bench with the first inning, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to win the World Series. I went out, I complete game, shut out, and we won the game three to nothing. And I was like, yeah, this is this team is pretty special. And, and even looking back now, I don't I don't think we realized how good that team was. I mean, you know, that's one of I, I, it's one of the the better teams that you know put together. A Rod at third, Jeter at short, Robbie Cano and Tex in their prime, you know, at, at second and first. You know, that's one of the best infields to ever play baseball. So it's just a special group. We had a lot of fun. We all still get along and. You know, we all still really close, so it was just fun to be a part of that. Well, I'm, I'm going to go off of the question real quick because I had to ask this first. I, I follow you on Instagram, and it's uh, and I want to ask you. I know you officially retired, but the way I see you work out, you're either coming back or you're going to go into the <laughs> WWE. I, I don't know what it is, but you're you're jacked. You're you're a lot more in shape than I've ever seen you ever. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, so what are we doing, man? We going to WWE? No, it's WWE. That's the plan. And, and that, I told everybody when I retire, I want to look like The Rock. That was like my plan is, is to do this. So every all my teammates and everything knew that this was coming. It's just funny that the fans and like everybody that you know on the outside is seeing it. But like, yeah, no, nah, this is always my plan. You know, I, I've had all the knee surgeries and and different things, and even you know, this I kind of tried to do this in 2013 when I lost all the weight. I just couldn't build back up with the muscle. I didn't have enough time in the off season. But, you know, having this time now away from the game and, you know, and really just during the quarantine, I had time to just really work out, get a good routine, getting good, a good food routine. And, you know, the, the weight kind of came off and the muscle is, has been coming on. So it's, it's exciting. I feel really good. And, you know, obviously we know I had the heart issues and all of that stuff. So my health is good. And this is just about living a good second healthy life. I mean, I did everything I could in the game and, and try to do everything I could to, to prepare and pitch well. But now it's just about being here as long as I can and, you know, trying to see my grandkids, trying to raise my kids and, and live a healthy life. Guys, get ready. We're going to see CC with the turtleneck and chain like The Rock come uh, this Halloween. <laughs> in the corduroy for sure. <laughs>
<laughs> Cece, you you lost all the weight and gained all the muscle during the quarantine, and I gained all the weight and lost all the muscle during the quarantine. So that's the way that went for me. Uh, the gym kind of shut down, and I don't have a, a big area down in my basement, so I can only do a certain amount of things. I have a couple of dumbbells, but that's it. But I want to ask you this because you got so much respect for me, especially with the 2008 season with the Brewers, what you did in your career with the Indians. You started as a 20-year-old out there, finished second in the rookie of the year to Ichiro, your, your rookie season. You go to the Brewers, you're absolute OG with the Brewers, especially those last three games to knock Jake's Mets out of the playoffs, by the way. Don't remind <laughs> me. Come on, man. Why'd you have to do that? But but the injury you had, the, the last time you pitched at Yankee Stadium, it was emotional for you. It was emotional for me. It was emotional for a lot of Yankee fans. Uh, you pitched till you couldn't pitch anymore. And, and that's something I that's something I always said about you. You know, Charlton Heston used to always say you could take the gun out of my cold, dead hand. I used to say every fifth day, the manager, whoever it is, is going to have to pry the ball out of this guy's hand. You pitched until you couldn't pitch anymore. How did you get, since Nelly went with the retirement and the workout regimen, with the shoulder injury, how did you get to the point you're at right now? Because in your documentary, Under the Grapefruit Tree, holy cow, man, you're not too far away from the rock, my friend. <laughs> now, you know what? The rehab for the shoulder was was long, man. It was I had the shoulder surgery the, the Monday before Thanksgiving in 2019. And not until, I mean... Really, like October of last year, was I able to like get a really good full night of sleep and you know feel like my shoulder was all the way back. So it was a lot of rehabbing. You know, I rehab all that time, and then building the muscle up helped too. But that shoulder injury was tough. I mean, I ripped everything. I tore my capsule, rotator cuff, labrum, bicep. But to be honest, there's there's no other way I would have wanted to go out. Like you said, that was me. That's me, and that's who I am. And even when I watch it now, I get emotional when I see, you know, that, that clip. I don't get emotional because, you know, I got hurt. I get emotional because of the fans' reaction and, and you know, just getting that one more time. And that was really one of the only times I ever heard the fans. Nelly, you know, like, when you're in the game and you're in Yankee Stadium, like, it's just all noise. But, like, in that moment, I could hear them cheering my name. And, like, I just felt the love. So that was a lot of the emotion, too. I mean, I was in a lot of pain. If Stevie would have let go of my belt, I probably would have fell right there on the field. But it was just the emotion of everything and knowing that that was it. Like, me and my wife knew at some point my shoulder was going to go out that, that, that summer, that year. It had just been hurting for so long. And, you know, as soon as it happened, I just, you know, her too. She was like, yep, that was it. So it was the best way for me to go out because I'll probably be right now trying to throw bullpen, trying to figure out if I can pitch out of the bullpen and, try to see if I can, you know, open games for the Yankees or whatever right now. So me getting hurt, not being able to throw was the best thing that the way my, my career ended. Yeah, it's funny how in playing in New York, I mean, how emotional, it, it, you know, the fans and just being at Yankee Stadium, you know, get you. You, you know, you, you tend to block everything out because you have 50,000 people that are yelling all kinds of different things. But, you know, when when certain things happen, when you come back, I got traded back in 03 and you know, you have to duck your head a little bit because there's no crying in baseball, but all of a sudden you start tearing up a little bit and getting emotional out on the mound. But you're right. It, it does something to you. You know, I want to ask you, you said, you know, you mentioned this is how you are. And, and, you know, I we crossed paths a little bit when you came up in 2001. We were, you know, I played against you for like five or six years before I retired. But you you were a guy that took the ball all the time and you never wanted to come out of the game. And there's a very few guys like that now, maybe a handful 
I, I would like to know what was the mentality that you took on the mound and, and you know, about, hey, I got to go nine all the time, and why don't you find that now? I think, you know, it was just a direct correlation. Like, when I first came up, I was 20 years old, and the, the guys I hung out with was Dave Berber and Chuck Henley, just old vets, just old guys that took the ball every fifth day and went out there and did everything they, they could to help their team win. So I had that mentality where, you know, if we score five runs, all you know, I can give up four. If we score one run, I got, I got to go out and throw a shutout. So it was just always about trying to get the team a win. Burbs told me that early. He was like, don't, it don't matter what the stat line is, what the what, what your ERA is, and none of that shit. The guys only care about if you can go out and help them win, keep them in the game every fifth day, and you go out and – and leave everything out there. And that's and I took that to heart, you know, and that's just something that, that I played with my whole career. I think you, you look at guys now, I just think that they're not trained to do that. I mean there's like you said, four or five guys that, you know, in the league that can that can pitch deep in the games. But you even look at like Lucas Giolito. The other day he's matched up against Shane Bieber and this is one of the best pitching matches we've seen in the last ten years. These guys these guys are going back and forth and Giolito hadn't been past the fifth inning in a year. Like, this guy's the ace of a team that's supposed to win the World Series, and he had pitched back the sixth inning? Like, come on, man. It makes no sense. I look at the Cleveland Indians, right, and, and their roster and their lineup, and they're always in that division in the Central because they pitch well. And it's because Tito runs his staff like an old-school staff. Those guys throw 110, 115 pitches. They go deep into the game. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's something to be said for a guy. If, if you're watching the Indians, how good their pitching staff is, but nobody watches the way he runs that team. See, there's so much angst in me with today's baseball game. It's your fault, CeCe, because <laughs> of the competitor you were and how you went about your career. I was just screaming on this show a week ago, and these guys are sick and tired of hearing me scream. But when a pitcher needs 85 pitches and only gets through three innings, I, I want to run through a brick wall. I can't take it. It's the sequencing. It, it's all this picking up the cap and looking inside the cap at notes. When you were on the mound, you you had a plan. You knew it was working for you that day, and you just attacked. How did you go about this? I was simple, man. I mean, I, I'm different. Like, I didn't watch film. I didn't – I just relied on what I knew, like facing guys and, and, you know, just knowing hitters and reading swings. Like, I didn't, I didn't really do any studying and anything like that, so – I relied a lot on my catchers. So whatever they thought, I would just go out and execute. Whatever Gary put down, I'm going to execute that pitch to the best of my ability. Whatever Sato puts down, I'm going to execute that pitch to the best of my ability. So if you watch me, I, I didn't really do a lot of shaking off or anything like that. It was just, I'm going to trust the catcher and I'm going to execute the shit out of this pitch. And that's just the way I did it. Well, Bur first of all, Burbs is my roommate in uh, in Seattle in the minors, so he's a great dude. Nice. Guy. And uh, so that being said, you did it. You know, you didn't see film, and we didn't have that stuff when when we were going through the you know the minors in the big leagues. Analytics now, I, in my opinion, I think it's ruining pitching. I think it's ruining the game. I think there's a place for it. I think good information is good, you, you know, but a lot of it is overkill and. A lot of teams, I think many teams, are putting too much emphasis on it, and I think it's killing pitching. I think it's one of the reasons why guys don't go deep into the game anymore. Yeah, it, it makes it tough. You know, it, it does just because, you know, sometimes with the analytics, you know, my backdoor slider is my best pitch, right? It was my best pitch my last three years. But, like, the analytics will tell you that I need to throw the backdoor slider 80 times. Well, I can't throw a backdoor slider 80 times. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we got to figure out how I can – put myself in the best situation to get to that pitch. So I think the Yankees do a really good job of explaining the numbers, you know what I'm saying, and not just 
you know, so this is your best pitch. You need to throw this all the time. They they do a good job of explaining to where you need to try to, you know, pitch around to get to that pitch, if that makes sense. I think a lot of other organizations just want you to throw the same pitch over and over and over. Yeah, I, I get that. And, and I understand that the Yankees do a good job with it. But, you know, I, I always go back and, and I mentioned it before in passing, but I'll go back to it now because I have to. And I hope Nelly and and Jake and Brian and everybody listening doesn't mind that I go into fanboy mode really quick. But CC. I grew up a Yankee fan, and that 2008 season when you went to the Brewers, I was dialed in uh, from the time you were traded uh, until the time you guys went into the playoffs, and I was riding the Brewer train. You were a guy, and and with me it's weird because, you know, it was that major league life. You know, you played for the Indians where Bob Euchre was the fictional announcer, and then you actually played for the (laughs) Brewers where he was the actual announcer. So I was all over this, see, and those last three starts – you were two and one with a 0.83 ERA, a 195 batting average against, and the, and the pitch count. You ready for this? All you kids out there who count pitches: 105, <laughs> 108, and 122. And that 122nd pitch in that last start of the season on September 28th was the dagger for the New York Mets. So it was a do. It was a double-edged sword. You got your team into the playoffs, and you made me happy because you knocked the Mets out. <laughs> just thinking about that stretch and going down that stretch me and my agent got into a lot of fights uh, during that time just because he didn't want me to pitch he thought I was making a mistake and you know and I'm you know leaving everything out there for this organization that's not going to sign me back and all these different things but you know I, I saw it as, as a chance to help an organization get to the playoffs an organization that wanted me when I got traded from Cleveland it was a shock. I mean, you know, I was getting drafted there at 17. I kind of grew up there. I became a man there. My kids were born there. And then to get traded was, you know, it was tough. So to go somewhere where they actually wanted you, you know, it just, it just felt good. And we were having a lot of fun. Chris Fielder, Ricky Weeks, my best friend Dave Risky was on the team at the time, Mike Cameron. So I just didn't want the season to end. And I was healthy. And to, and I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think I've ever said this, but, you know, everybody was worried about me getting hurt and losing money and stuff. But, I knew I was healthy. I was 28 years old at the time. And I was like, the more they give me the ball, the more money somebody's going to have to pay me. So I knew, like, I wanted the ball every three every three days because I knew that, you know, I was going to go out and pitch well because I was in the groove. And, you know, those last three starts, I was 2-1. and one, But I should have been 3-0 and oh because Michael Owens hit a damn base hit over the first baseman's head that went probably, like, 65 feet that, that cleared the bases. The bases loaded, like, single. It was crazy. The ball like rolled over to the target. So I still remember that. I was still, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I should have won, won those last two games. See, but, that's but, another <laughs> reason why I love you so much is because you remember that shit. And three, di- three days rest in today's game is non-existent. But I, I, I see uh, Shearney chose violence today, making fun of the Mets nonstop. But uh, that's fine. We have, a, we have a better record right now early in the season than the Yankees, so that's fine. You always do in April. Go yeah, ahead, uh, <laughs> that's true. We are the April World Series champions. And speaking of April and World Series champions, I mean, that turnaround and that magical year, winning a World Series, not only in your first year as a Yankee, but in the first year of a brand-new stadium, I mean, everything that surrounded that 2009 year had to have been special, CC, and, you know, the Yankees haven't won since. So it's surprising that they haven't won since. I know a lot of fans are craving for another one, but they have that 2009 year to hold on to. It must have been a treat in 2009. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a treat. It was just surreal. You know, the first year, like you said, at the new stadium, and, you know, our, me and AJ's first year here, Tex, and then we ran, and, 
you know, just in the parade. Like it was, it was a trip. It was fun, you know, being a part of that. And it was, it was actually like a relief. I didn't understand at the time, but like we had a lot of pressure on us to win that year. And, you know, I didn't really understand that, at, you know, going through it. I was like, oh, we got plenty of time. Like I'm here for seven years, Tech's here for seven years, AJ here for five years. But if you look back at it, if we don't win, you know, that's a waste now. And now we're in that new stadium now, 12 years, and we haven't won a, a title. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a big year for us. You know, CC, I want to take you back in April 30th, 2019. I was lucky enough to be in the booth with Ken Singleton in Arizona and calling the game on your 3,000 strikeout. And your family was there, and, you know, everybody stopped. Very emotional for you. One of, what, four lefties in history? I want to know how that felt, and you had your family. I mean, that's an unbelievable accomplishment. And have you started writing your speech yet for the Hall of Fame? <laughs> that was a, a crazy first month of the season, to be honest, just because I knew. I think I was like 15 strikeouts away from 3,000 coming into the season, coming off like the scent in my heart. And we don't, we didn't even know this was going to be possible in January. So it was just, you know, emotional that whole month, you know, getting to travel around with my family. You know, we were out on the West Coast, so a lot of my West Coast family was traveling with us. And I'm from Vallejo, California. I don't know if you guys know where that is or, or where that, what that place is, but. My college roommate's from Vallejo. Oh, nice. So you understand. Yes. <laughs> but. To have my name, you know, with Steve Carlton and Randy Johnson and to have as many wins as, as Bob Gibson, like, I wasn't supposed to be here. Like, I wasn't supposed to play in the big leagues. I was, none of this was supposed to happen to me. So to be able to, to have my name with, with those guys and it's just like baseball royalty. It's almost like I, like I feel like they're still in a different class than I am. You know what I'm saying? So it's just one of those things where I'm trying to wrap my head around everything that, that happened for the last 20 years. And no, I haven't really started writing my speech yet because hopefully it happens you know i mean i i'm up in you know 2025 i would love if i went in with the first ballot just because me and ec came in together we retired together he stole my rookie of the year and it'd be fun to be able to tell that story you know on the podium if we, if we got in the hall of fame together cc i have to say this in 2015 when you went into rehab you know you said chris young said you'll be a hero when you come out and you know you're the you're the only guy I could think of off the top of my head that had two successful careers. Your career before that, and your career after that. And you did come out a hero. And I have to throw this in too. It's it, we're taping this on Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball. It's got to mean. I know you said in the in the documentary it meant so much to you to be a member of the Black Aces, winning the twenty game, having the twenty game twenty win season, excuse me, and also uh, being a part with Fergie and uh, Bob Gibson as the only three African Americans with three thousand strikeouts. So as we tape this uh, today, I mean, it's just your career. You mentioned that you hope the Hall of Fame will happen to me and to to Nelly. Uh, to everyone listening, we, we think it's a sure thing, but uh, just talk about how much that means to you to be a part of things with Fergie and Bob and and also about wearing the, the 42 on your Jackie Robinson days in the past, how much that meant to you as well. You know what? Jackie Robinson day was – I always had the best games. I was like, man, I wish I could wear 42 every day because I always always picked the best on, on Jackie Robinson day. I think I had three starts on – um. On Jackie Day, one in Cleveland and then two in New York, and those are probably three of my best games in my career. So it was it was always special to be able to wear 42. I remember, you know, when I first came up in 2001, it wasn't a thing, you know. And then King Griffey Jr. asked the commissioner to wear it, and then I think the the, the year after that, 
Tory Hunter asked, and then he got a bunch of guys to to go ask if they could change their number. And then I think by 2003 or four, it was the whole league was wearing it. So, you know, I got a chance to wear when it was only, you know, five or six or seven guys, you know, only wearing 42. So that's special to me too. But yesterday I got a chance to, to go out to Patterson, New Jersey and sit at Hitchcliffe Stadium where they're, where they're re- rehabbing that whole area. And that was the home of the New York Black Yankees, the New York Cubans, Larry Doby played there. So, you know, it's just special to be able to be a part of that. And I was sitting in that stadium and just got emotional because these guys literally paved the way for me. Like, there was no path for me to get to the big leagues or live this life or be with Fergie and Bob and have my name, you know, mentioned it as a Hall of Famer or, or any of these things without these guys going through what they went through or playing on this field. And, you know, it just felt, it just felt so special to be a part of that yesterday. And, you know, it being Jackie Day today, you know, I'm glad you guys acknowledge that. It's, it's, a, it's a special day. So I'm glad that the league does some great things around Jackie Day. I would love for us to tell more stories. I would love to hear more about Larry Doby. I would love to hear more about, you know, Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson and all these different these different guys. Satchel Page. Let's just continue to, to, to keep telling these guys stories because they have paved the way for so many guys after them. Oh, I agree, Cece. I mean, the, the history is just amazing. You know, I got to know a little bit of it, and it's just a, it's a remarkable of what went on back then. And and you know, it's it's incredible. I wish I I think you're right. I think there should be more stories with that. You know, real quick, I want to ask about Montgomery. You know, he's been he's been mentioned you and Andy Pettit to be an inspiration to him and teaching him some things. How's that feel to go and to give back to some of the Guys now, especially like Montgomery, picking your brain, you don't find that often either. I mean, a lot of these guys coming up, they don't ask the uh, old players. They don't They don't want to know. They think they know everything. But Montgomery credits you with a, a lot of his, uh, his success. Monty's like my little brother, man. And Monty's old school in the way where, like you said, he just asked a lot of questions. He, remind, he reminded me a lot of myself. Like when, you know, he first came up in 2017, he would just follow me around, you know what I'm saying, and just ask the main <laughs> questions. And starting in spring training, we just got super close. It, it, it got to where, you know, I enjoyed, you know, sitting around and talking to him, going to dinner, different things, you know, look, meeting his family and, you know, his girlfriend, his fiance now. And, and we developed a really, really close relationship. And that's the same thing I did to Andy when I first got, got here. I followed Andy around everywhere. I was, you know, nine years into my career, but I needed to figure out how to pitch in New York, how to be successful in New York how to be an ace in, in, the, in the pinstripes. And Andy had did that for years. So, you know, I literally just follow him around and learn the game from him. And everything that Andy taught me, I'm able to teach to teach Jordan. And, and you can see it now. I mean, he's more like Andy than he is like me, you know, just stuff-wise. I mean, obviously he throws harder than the both of me and Andy did throwing the cutter. Changeup is, is way nastier. And he's got, he's got a feel for pitching that I think, you know, you can just go out and, and, and like I said, you know, he just reads swings and, and he pitches to his strength. And that's something that I feel like a lot of these young pitchers don't do. You know, they try to go out and, you know, we talk about analytics and numbers and they try to throw their best pitch over and over again. Money pitches to his best, to his strength. He's going to throw you cutters in, change it away, and he's going to finish you with a breaking ball. And he knows that. So he don't try to do anything that he can't do. And I think that's why you're going to find him having a lot of success this year. 
Cece, I know Shearney got emotional. I got emotional watching your HBO documentary Under the Grapefruit Tree. It felt like I was watching Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams in The Notebook. I mean, yeah, tearing <laughs> up, it got emotional. Uh, can, can you? Can you cried from the shot? He just got vaccinated. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't cry from that. He'll he'll say that constantly. I fell asleep. Get the hell out of here. Uh, but uh, you know, take us through Cece the emotions of making something like special like that, and you know what it went through filming it as well yeah it was fun i mean we honestly started filming just to document the 3000 strikeouts and really just to document the last year and you know the family traveling around and like, like our last year of baseball and as we got halfway through you know the season you know we figured out this might be a, a pretty good job and then we we finished it wrapped it up after the playoffs and then you know got with hbo and they were like you know would you mind you know telling your whole story and i was like no i mean this is this is kind of what i wanted to do and you know, I hadn't, I hadn't talked about my alcoholism or my father, you know, in depth until the, the documentary. And being able to get all that out was, was great. You know, letting people know about my dad. I think a lot of people had, you know, heard the story but didn't really know his story. And I think his story gets lost in mind where, you know, everybody wants – my mom is an incredible woman. I would not be here without her, my grandmother. And everybody wants you to be raised by this strong, single black mom. But that, that wasn't my story. You know, my dad was such a, a big part of my life. You know, it just happens, just don't happen when my parents split, that he split too. But at my early age, you know, my early years, he was huge and influential in me playing baseball. And I wanted to get that across to, my, to the fans and really to our family because I don't think he had got that due, you know, in my story, uh, in, in my in my career. That That's the part that really resonated with me. I just lost my dad in 2019 and... I needed a good cry. So uh, the, the documentary was was able to give that to me. And, and the thing that resonated with me, see, is, is the fact that you said he, he, he was always there for you. He never it was never too late and he was never too tired to pitch to you or have a catch with you. And, and, and that was like an arrow right in the old chest for me, because that was <laughs> that was that was my father, too. And, and he was a catcher, tried out for the Yankees. Uh, he actually was offered a minor league deal, but didn't take it because he already had my older brother. So he didn't go down to Florida where the, where the minor league team was back in the late sixties. So it just, it just hit me. It, it tugged at me. And, and uh, it's such a, it's a tale as old as time, man. And I know it's, it's mothers too, but fathers and, and, and daughters and fathers and sons with baseball, it just, it just hits you, man. It hits you. Yeah, it does. And and even like, you know, my son now, he's he's a junior. He's, a, you know, he's, he's starting to turn into a really, really good player. And even that, like I was at the game the other day and just, I know my dad, I know my dad there, you know what I'm saying? But I know he would like be all over my son right now. Like <laughs> everything, like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like I just know how he, how he was and I know their relationship would be so close. So I just miss that for my son too. It, it makes it tough. Yeah, you know, uh, CC Jake does a Mets podcast, and on Monday they're supposed to have Glenn Close, and he keeps saying the actress, and oh, keep you got to top that. Am I? Like, I think we already did. You know, we have CC real stories. We don't have to worry about CC putting any kind of pets in boiling, boiling water. We don't have to worry about that stuff. I think we already topped it. But was, oh but was CC in a hundred and one Dalmatians? No, CC's got to be in, on the movie screen next. That's that's what we got to do. I mean, you're courtside at every game and on the field at every game in New York. So next we got to see you on the movie screen, CC. For sure, for sure. <laughs> All right, I, I got one more before we let you go, and it's something you said about your uh, Nets fandom. I'm a Fairweather fan. I can only take so much heartache. I need something to cheer for. You could blame the Raiders for that. So maybe you could counsel Jake on the Mets there, CeCe. 
Yeah, you know what? I was at, I was, like I said, I was out at the thing at Patterson yesterday, and everybody out there is Mets fans. But and this, and I'm gonna say this: like the Mets fans are like, but like me, they're like Raider fans. They're the real fans in New York. It's easy to be a Yankee fan. We win all the time. It's super <laughs> easy to go to Yankee Stadium because we win. If you a Mets fan, you're a real fan because if you pull up with that bullshit and you still put on the Mets hat, <laughs> then you're a real fan. That's like me. That's like me being a Raider fan. Like I still wear Raider shit every day with egg on my face, but I know that they're gonna make it. They're gonna they're gonna fuck this draft up. They're gonna do all these different things. <laughs> Seven and nine again, but guess what? I'll be in Vegas spending my money with all my Raider shit on because uh, I'm a real fan. Let's go, CC. Hyping me up. Let's go. We are true fans. <laughs> I've been through two collapses back to back. One that CC caused because my team couldn't win in 2008, and we have never won in my lifetime. I'm 30 years old. So thank you. Yes, true fans. And you, and you still got that Mets hat on. That's a real fan. I'm wearing a Uncle Steve, Steve Cohen hoodie right now as we record this, baby. So a See, true that's fan. That's a real fan. Yes. I'm about to put on a Raiders hoodie right now for my doctor's appointment. There you go. <laughs> CC, I can guarantee you when uh, you do get inducted, I will be in Cooperstown. I will reserve a room and I will be in the stands there cheering you on because you are a Hall of Famer. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Such great stories, great documentary, and a great career. CC Sabathia, thanks a lot, brother. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. That says goodnight to episode 44, the Reggie Jackson Classic Edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for free for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. Enjoy the Yankee series against the Rays in the Bronx this weekend. We'll talk to you all Monday. Thanks for listening.